So welcome to 11s is with me, Danielle Perry, the podcast where I ask each guest the same 11 questions over a mid-morning brew. Join me for a cuppa this week is an award-winning Welsh actor, writer, comedian and singer who, like his on and off screenmate Steve Coogan, is a gifted mimic. Although his warm, affable tones were familiar to us long before we even knew who he was. After a well-paid career in commercial voiceover, this self-described late developer finally got his break with comedy drama and characters he co-wrote and created himself. Keith Barrett in Marion and Jeff with Hugo Blick and with Julia Davis, Human Remains. As a delightful Bryn in Gavin and Stacey and through his many appearances on chat and panel shows, he's cemented his reputation as an all-round good bloke and built on that as the host of Would I Lie to You, Noel Gallagher's favourite TV programme, as it is mine, and in four glorious series of The Trip, where he affectionately bickers his way around Europe with the aforementioned Coogan. A music lover too, and number one recording artist, he is currently out on a tour for A Night of Songs and Laughter, 45 nights fronting a nine-piece band playing to thousands of people. Welcome, Rob Bryden. Well, I'm glad you said 45 because people, I didn't know that. And people said to me, how many, people love numbers. Mm. They love specifics. How many shows? I, I don't know. So 45. That's 45. good to know. Thank and, you. and growing, it seems, by the day because they go right into next year, don't they? Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's different touring with a band to touring as I was used to doing, which is as a stand-up. Mm. I mean, you get to keep all the money. Don't get me wrong. It has its perks. And, and these musicians seem to insist they seem to think it's their God-given right to be paid. But the sense of being in a company is fantastic. Mm. It becomes like a family, doesn't it? Absolutely, just like it does on a film set or, or a TV show. But I'd never had it with touring before, so I, I like it a lot. Have you been going on the train between venues? Did I say? Uh, well, bits and bobs, it depends where it is. The best time is when we've got this little posh coach so it's not it's not a tour bus it's not the sort of thing with the, the bunks it's just a little little coach and me and maybe four or five of the band some of them like to drive we go on that and that's great fun because that's just stories from the musicians about people they've worked with we play each other music we like so you mm. get to learn new music i mean cuz <laughs> cuz i'm the guy paying the bills my choice of music does, and they, they all have to pretend to love mid-70s Elvis, you know, which I'm constantly playing them. Mm, perfect. Your coffee has arrived. It's just arriving now. three minutes ago. Where I the know, hell has she is... been? Thank you very and much. And it's here. Thank you. That's so nice. So sort of late night drives, Thank the you. motorways around the UK, touring and everything with your crew. And you mentioned music as well. Mm. And that leads me to one of the questions in R11, if that's all right. Mm. So I'm going to start there. Yes. In terms of music or art, is there one in particular that takes your breath away? What, a music or art? Yeah. Oh, well, I'd have to say music. Um, I'm far more knowledgeable about music than I am about art. I love art, mm-hmm. but I couldn't sit an exam. I could sit an exam with, with music. So out of those two, I'd say music. Is there one particular piece? No, I'm not a I'm not a very binary person, you know. I'm not. Uh, that's a that's a very now word, isn't it? I, I I who's better? What's better? What do you prefer? Which is the better one out of these? I, I kind of like them all. In terms of artists, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen aficionado. I absolutely adore his work, um, and he's a fascinating bloke. I like a lot of singer-songwriters, James Taylor, Paul Simon, performers like Elvis or Tom Jones, big voices like Barbara Streisand or 
Judy Garland. I, I got into jazz relatively late. I used to have this um, CD of Kind of Blue by uh, Miles Davis. And I was very aware that that was thought of as, oh, this is a great thing. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I turned it on and went, well, <laughs> lost on me. Oh, I don't understand this. <laughs> What's the fuss? And once we were in France and I put it on and, and I went, oh, I love this. What, on, what had changed in me? And now I adore it and I listen to him and John Coltrane and all sorts of things. But jazz has, has, has now, now features in, in my listening. I love that record, Kind of Blue. It's like perfection. Saturday mm. morning perfection with coffee. Yeah. Um, when you talk about Bruce Springsteen, have you met him? I have, yes. I've, I've, I, when, <laughs> you know when people say, I mean, I'm not counting. I am three times. <laughs> <laughs> what was he like? Well, he's lovely. I mean, I, I can't claim it was any, uh, you know, it wasn't a meeting of minds. I, I, I dare say he has no recollection of meeting me, but um, I've been a fan of his since I was, I, since The River came out. I would have been about 16. And um, when I met him first, when he came over for a documentary, a friend of mine knows him a bit through radio and stuff. And of course, he's not a clue, but he's very nice. Then I did the film, I did Safra's Manzur's film with Gurinder Chada called Blinded by the Light. And I only, it's a tiny part, and I only did it. I mean, if I can be so bold, I wouldn't normally have done, you know, it was tiny, like a two days on it or something. But I got to sing Thunder Road in this scene. And I was so, I was so fascinated by the thought that Bruce would one day have to <laughs> sit and watch me sing. I just thought, well, I have to do it. And then because of that, getting to know his people a bit, we went to see his Broadway show and met him afterwards. He was quite tired, I think. I, I thought, oh, I don't want to take up any of your time. But then the last time was he came over to promote Western Stars. And this time I got the impression... He was, oh, you're the guy from... It was as if he was going... He gave me a hug and I was like, my God... <laughs> I almost burst into tears. When you see him live, he puts on a long show, right? He certainly does. He yeah. Does indeed. Well, the, more than the length of the show, though, for me, as someone who also puts on shows, is his commitment. Because once you start doing live shows and once you start touring, the um, that old Wizard of Oz thing, you know, the, the something drops from before your eyes. What is that? The scales? Is that the phrase? You know, and you realise that for the act, often it's just another day at the office. Mm -hmm. And they are probably not as excited as the audience. Sometimes you are, but often you're not. And then at 7.30, we here we go. Curtain up. So for me, every time I've seen him, and I've seen him many times, um, that bloody commitment is astonishing. And also... Here's another thing, the energy that he has to commit. And in my normal stand-up shows, there's a bit of music at the end, there's a bit of running around, there's a bit of improvising with the audience, there's different voices. So I use a, I use a bit of energy. I remember talking to Jimmy Carr. Now, Jimmy's speciality, of course, is beautiful one-liners. And I think I'm right in saying that he said to me once, oh, well, you know, when I, I go on and I come off and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not really in a different state. I think that's what he said. Mm. I hope I'm not misquoting him. Now, somebody then, like, Bruce, my God, if he knows he's got a show coming up that night, he comes off exhausted. So I, I'm full of admiration. And when we're talking about putting on you know, sort of a musical show, which is what you're touring at the moment, 
Have you ever suffered from performance anxiety? Is that something you're scared of? Or is there, is there one thing in life that you're particularly frightened of would be my next question. I would say fear itself. You know that old saying, that's what, I, that's what I'm scared of is fear. I hate fear and I do whatever I can to avoid it. Um, anxiety, I don't like that. So I, 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 I hate that, mm. whatever it's about. I've got no problem getting up on a stage in front of people. I've got no problem meeting new people. I, I can fly. I mean, I don't, I don't love it, but I, yeah. But I would save that feeling of fear. How do you get rid of it? Uh, breathing. Um, use your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe slowly through your nose. Really, really effective. Kind of tricks your body. But you've got to commit to it. It's not enough to go, I don't feel any different. You know, you've got to give it some time. Slow down. Do something methodical. Do something with a beginning, a middle and an end. Tidy the house. Slowly, don't rush it. That, that, that calms down any anxiety or fear. Mm -hmm. The same things really, aren't they? I would say fear and anxiety. I think so. Did yeah. you have to master that early in your, in your life then? Could you feel it creeping and think, no, no I don't I want that? No, I would say more later. I would say mm. more later. I, I, um, I wonder if as you get older, mortality starts to creep into your thoughts. And maybe maybe that contributes to it. I don't know, but it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a sort of a fear of going on stage, not that. That with that you go, come on, get a grip, get on with it. You see that changes. The, the, obviously, the more you've done, it, it goes from a certain type of nerves to more of a background. So before a show now on this tour, I'll be I'll be alert, and I'll be there'll be a background rumble of apprehension. I wouldn't call it anxiety, maybe very low level. Because, you know, it's your audience. It's not going to be a disaster. It may not be the best it can be, and that's a shame, because that's what you want. Mm. But when I first did a live show, when, when I did, I did Marion and Jeff and Human Remains, and I wanted to take the Keith Barrett character live. So I did a series of Sunday nights at the Ambassadors in, in London here. And typical for me I hadn't really prepared I'm much more into preparation than I was when I was younger I used to wing everything and um, this show in the ambassador's seats about I don't know 700 people maybe maybe more I could be wrong but it's not a lot of people but to me then it was bloody massive you know and um, I had tried out the first half of this show in a comedy club but the second half I'd never never given it a run out Oh my God. I mean, it's unthinkable now. I just said, oh, well, you know, uh, what I used to do with exams at school, oh, something will happen. And it did, I failed. Um, <laughs> so I can remember being paralysed with fear in the interval, almost unable to talk. Ended up going to see a stomach specialist after it because I was so, you know. So I know what that feels like. I don't get that anymore. Mm. And then... I'm overcoming my fear of snakes. I've counted a few snakes and they do, they do want to get away from you. Do they? Because oh. I, I can't even wear a polar neck jumper. I am so terrified of constriction. Like, that I, is astonishing. I know. You can't wear a polar neck jumper <laughs> yeah. because of snakes? I saw a snake eat a, a mouse once really close up in the cage. Oh, yeah, these things happen. The image has haunted me for the rest of my life. Just oh, the way it was God like... Say, here's, here's what I say to you. Get a grip. I what are you talking about? Well, why are you so scared of them? 
Well, because they're snakes. But but I have, in the last few years, when we've been away on holiday, encountered a few, and it's that classic thing. What do they call it? Is it aversion therapy? Is it where you actually confront the thing that scares you? Yeah. And it loses its magic. And, you know, people always say, oh, old snake, he's more scared of you than you are of him. And you go, yeah, right. Mm. Now, this has to be said, not all snakes. <laughs> there are some snakes, from what I've read about and seen on the telly, that, that will go out of their way to hunt you down. But in this part of France where we were staying... It was a European whip snake and we encountered a few and they would always either go away or just stay very still. They, they didn't want to know. They How big were they, know. though? How big? Mm. Well, the biggest one was about that big. For your listeners, that's a big help, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think your intake of breath tells them exactly. Yeah. I've stretched that's my little big... arms out, OK? <laughs> and that one was up in a tree as well. So he was at eye level. I was very scared of them, but I talk to people who've, ex- who've experienced snakes. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, these horrible snakes that got... You remember that, that Attenborough film where they're chasing creatures across the beach? <gasps> you and see that? Yeah, and that's hard. No, I'm scared of that, don't get me wrong. And I, I saw one on the golf course in Britain a few weeks ago as well. And that was a grass snake, although it looked to me like an adder, but they insisted it wasn't. Mm. And he just lay there perfectly still, did not move while we walked around him looking at him. And then when we turned our backs and went, he slithered away. Mm. I think if they had ears, I'd be fine with it. I've thought about it a lot. They just look ridiculous if they had ears. Or maybe if they dressed differently. <laughs> Something. Not in a polar neck, you wouldn't like that. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> My next question is going to be, when were you at your happiest? Is that when you're on a live stage? Or is, that, is there a, a part of childhood? No, no, or? no. Do you mean generally, or do you want a particular time in life? In particular time in life, Oh, 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 I don't know about that. When were you at your happiest? When and where were you oh, at your happiest? that's hard. When were you at your happiest? Oh, I don't know. For me, it would involve all my children, so it would be a time and I don't know that I can specify one for you, when all the kids are there and my wife is there, my parents, her parents, all the kids are happy, we're happy, maybe we're eating. It would be something like that. A real family moment. Yes. Because, number one, you're not worried about any of them because they're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, not, you're not thinking... Oh, everyone's they... safe, everyone's fine. Yeah, they... yeah. Well, you're not thinking, are they all right? What are they up to? What are they doing? Well, I haven't heard from them for a while. What's, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, it would be something like that. Is that quite reflective of, of your childhood? So you live with your parents and your grandparents, so it seemed like quite a busy childhood. Well, we, yeah, on and off. Um, I saw a lot of my grandparents, I mean, more than my kids, and it's a real shame, see of their grandparents, because certainly on my side of the family, because Claire's parents live relatively close, but my parents are in Port Talbot, and certainly with these last, you know, however many months it is now, we got used to saying this last year, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's nearly two. Um, Yeah, I did. What's your earliest memory of childhood? So you keep going for your coffee, and I keep hammering, let me me have a drink, for goodness sake. Um, My... Earliest memory, I would say, I would say is, you see, I can think about that. We lived in a few different houses. So what memory do I have? I have a memory of the smell of Weetabix, I think, with warm milk and sugar. (laughs) And, And I would have been quite young then. And as I sort of scramble through my mind 
I think that's about as far back as I can. It's not a specific memory. When I think of it, I see a view of a house that we lived near, not even our house, and and I get that. But I I don't. I'm not one of those people with vivid memories of when they were really young. In fact, my memory is very funny because when people come to the show, because I remember people's names in the audience and all that stuff, they go, oh, incredible memory you've got. <laughs> and if my wife is there, she bursts out laughing because I certainly haven't. And I just went away for the weekend with my oldest friend who I've known since I was seven. Well, his memories of our childhood and school, I mean, it made me wonder if I was there. <laughs> It was like being told a story of your life or something. Wow. But memory's a funny thing. I wrote, uh, you know, a book, uh, an autobiography a few years ago. That's very informative about memory when you, when you write your own book. And I'd almost urge everyone to do it, whether or not you're going to publish it, just for your own, your own happiness. And I wrote about when I was at drama school and a friend and I had a double act and we did a gig in Wykes Regis, which is near Bournemouth. It was our first proper paid gig and it, and it went terribly, terribly, terribly badly. And I went for dinner with my friend James and I showed him this. I said, have a look at that now. Tell me if that's as you remember it. And he said, yes. He said, all of that happened. He said, he said but do you not remember that also on that night, X, Y and Z? And I said, no, I have no memory of that. It's very selective. And, and then I think what happens over time if you've got something in that memory a little bit wrong, you just build on that and it becomes a confection or something. You know, mm. it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah. I romanticise stuff. Because I think working in radio especially, yeah. you make stories out of nothing, <laughs> don't you? Like if yeah. you play the same record over and over, well, and then I say things at home, they go, that never happened. Yeah. Or it wasn't that glamorous. I'm like, no, it's, it was. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, here's an... Well, I'll say it's interesting. You be the judge. Um, I said to him, do you remember when we were kids, do you remember being in your brother's car coming back from Wrexham? I said, that's when I first heard the Eagles. And that's when I loved the Eagles because your brother had the Eagles' greatest hits on cassette. And I can remember witchy woman playing <laughs> and one of these nights, right? And he said, well, no, I don't remember that. I said, where were we? I said, I think we come from North Wales. He said, oh, yeah, that was Wrexham. He said, we'd been to see Wales play England, <laughs> the historic 4-1 victory over England, and there were people screaming in the streets. All these fans after the match were going, Rah! you know, it was real scenes of jubilation. I said, I don't remember that. Says a lot, doesn't it? Well, he's a big football fan, I'm a big music yeah. fan. But it also says, I mean, it's astonishing, really, when you think about it. There you are, sat in the car, listening to the Eagles. Listening to Glenn Frey and Don Henley and saying, these boys are good. Love that. You just mentioned um, old friends. And I know that you've had lots of long working relationships with people like yeah. Steve Coogan, yeah. etc. and Ruth Jones. But who is your best friend, Rob Bryden? My best friend is a guy called Rhys John, uh, who is Welsh. And I met him, and that's Reese with an R-H-Y-S. I was going to ask. In case you were thinking of the old R-E-E-S, which <laughs> I have little or no time for. Um, and I met him when I worked at Radio Wales, when I was a tist myself, very good morning to um, <laughs> In the mid to late 80s, 86, 87, I met him. He's my bestest friend. David Williams is my oldest friend. He lives in Swansea. Reese lives in Cardiff. But I don't see as much of 
David, and also Reese is in my world, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, he's my best friend. And the professional sense, like I say, you've had so many sort of very lovely, long I working have, relationships yeah, I'm lucky with like people. That. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very aware of that and I value it. And I think you have some uh, new material. With Steve, it's more like care work than a. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I feel it's more of a sort of. Um, what's that phrase? Round the clock care. Right. And he'd be the first to admit it, you know. <laughs> Is there any more of the trip coming in the I pipeline? I don't think so, no. I always say, look, I mean, in 10 years. If Steve is still alive, oh, I would love to do it with him. I automatically start making jokes about Steve. The truth is I adore him. He is the equal of anyone in comedy. And I mean that globally. The man is an astonishing genius talent. He really is. Uh, But I I instinctively start to make jokes. But he's just astonishing. And uh, working with him is one of the most stimulating things you you can do, you know, because he's a very special person. When he was speaking actually about you in oh that very God, chair, what did he say? Well, no, no, he was he was nothing but charming. But he he just smiled when he was recounting lines from the trip, and oh, really? I, I think yeah, oh. it, it was a very sort of beautiful moment. I think he finds the trip quite relaxing in its own way because a lot of the stuff he does is very intensive. I've worked with him on other stuff, you know, scripted stuff, and it's it's not always a pleasant experience because he's so. Uh, on it, you know, you're every little detail. Whereas the trip, I think he looks on as a chance to play. And he loves to travel, doesn't he, I think? Because he was telling us about his best friend called Dave. Mm. And he said, I'm just jealous of him travelling all the time. So Who's I'm sure. Dave that... is this? Who's that? He just said that was his best friend when asked Dave. the same question. Dave, he lives Dave. all over the place, apparently. Oh, no. Dave never mentioned Dave to me. What's he talking? He's making things up. <laughs> No, he hasn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have many friends. Oh! And look, he's he's reached for a name. Bless him. He's gone, Dave. A creative genius. Uh, Dave. Uh. Yeah. He's got a friend who has travelled a lot, but his name isn't Dave. His name is uh, Mike. That might be me getting that wrong. Is, is this the Mike that went on the microlight aircraft round? Yes. Teleport? That's Mike, not Dave. Not Dave. No, I've, been, I've met Mike. Mike's a great guy. It's been guy. a heavy year. Yeah, Mike. That's Mike's who a lovely guy. About. And I, he I, does love to travel. I know Mike. Oh, Mike's done. Mike's had a fascinating life. Yeah. But you've got to stop being so hung up on Dave because oh, no. I think Dave's only going to disappoint you. <laughs> Possibly. Um, Are you going to say Rob came in and he said <laughs> his best friend was Tarquin? <laughs> Tarquin, who was that? No, I don't remember. Oh, he said, and he said he he, he lives in Wales and he goes to football matches. <laughs> um, if we talk about Ruth Jones, even yes. over a long time, worked yes. alongside her uh, for many years. Um, you ask gain... everybody about Ruth Jones. You said yeah. it's the same eleven questions for everyone. Some people will struggle. I know. Yes, they would. I'm diverting slightly. Gainer and Ray, can you talk to me about that quickly? Well, uh, that now I think that was a working title. I think it's now called The Ring. It's now, and, and before I answer this, I have to say, Ruth is one of my dearest and oldest friends. She's also one of the most secretive people. She loves to keep things under wraps. Okay. So I'm sat here now, terrified. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I can only say, and, and I realise the ludicrousity of that. It's a blooming television programme, right? But. I can tell you what's, what is already out there, which is that it's a couple who go on holiday to the Highlands. Mm. There we are. And it's Ruth, me, it's Ruth, and we've got a lovely chemistry. And, you know, we did some lovely stuff in, in Gavin and Stacey. Bryn and Nessa had scenes together. My particular favourite, I think, being when she's in labour and in the house, I don't know if you saw yeah. that, and he's there with the, with the um, stopwatch. The That's very funny. 
And that has my favourite, possibly my favourite line of everything in Gavin Stacey, which Stefan Rodri said, who plays uh, Dave Coaches. <clears throat> he comes in and he's got something, a, a type of tens machine for you know to relieve the contractions. Yeah. And uh, he goes, I got, I got this for you, Ness. Uh, Jill Thomas gave it to me, and she goes, uh, Isn't she a vet? <laughs> right. So it's for animals. And Steph goes. That's right. <laughs> and it's just the way he said that's right. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, brilliant. We're going to slightly change tack here and go straight into this next question, which is, do you have a recurring dream? Um, do I have a recurring dream? When I was younger, I used to dream about going to Graceland quite a lot. Did you? Yes. In a kind of hero-worshipping sort of way. And once... You know those dreams that are so vivid, you feel you've lived them. I, once I went to Graceland, he wasn't there, but I, got, I came back with a pair of his socks. Now, get some Freudian analyst. I mean, what does it mean? It means something, doesn't it? You know, for me, as a sock represents, I don't know. But yeah, and I woke up thinking, oh, I've been to Graceland. I used to have that. I sometimes go back to the same fictional landscape. So it's not... It's not it's not a real place, but I've been there before. But as I'm telling you now, I can't, I can't picture it. You know, you wake up and you go, ah, oh, I want to grab mm, that I dream. Back there again. I want to go back there. I have that sometimes. Have you actually been to Graceland? Yes, sir, I have. Was it amazing? I lived there for a big part of my life. Yeah, it is. Well, it was actually disappointing because I'd built it up so much. And then when it turns out he wasn't there... <laughs> And I dragged my wife there. We, we were in America. I was doing a little job in Los Angeles and we had time. And, of course, we could have spent it doing all sorts. And I said, oh, let's go to, let's go to Memphis, right? So it took two days out of our time. And we'd driven up the Pacific Coast Highway, gone to San Francisco, and then flew to Memphis. But I'm glad I did it. But um, ultimately, it was a little deflating. And yet, oddly enough, I'd like to go again. And do you think you will go back? Do you like the States? I love the States, yeah, but I, I, there's other places I'd want to check rather than go back there. Maybe for work. I've been offered, you know, Elvis documentaries and things and I've, always, I've just always been too lazy to, to get on a plane and go. I, yeah, I hope I will go back one day, but I'd, I'd quite like to go with someone who appreciated not my wife. I'd like to go with someone who appreciated it, you know, who went, wow, look at that. Yeah, Not, yeah. oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of Elvis and the jumpsuits, etc., I know this because my dad was an Elvis impersonator. Was he? And I, in fact, am a Presley. That's my married name. No. How come? What do you mean? How is your husband called Presley? Ch per chance. So is he a, in, related at all to Elvis? He thinks it goes back to a very small town in Scotland because wasn't Elvis, his family, from Scotland? I, I, possibly, yeah, maybe. I don't I know. Think yeah. That's okay. as far as Wow. I yeah. And your dad is or was, was? Was. Started his career as an Elvis impersonator. Did he? Would I know your dad? Would I know of him? No. No, okay. But he had the fat phase and the thin phase and everything in between, so it, it worked <laughs> through middle age, so that was fine. Um, but alongside the jumpsuits, the next question I was going to ask you was, uh, what item of clothing always changes or change the way you feel? Do you have one hallowed jacket or oh, okay. jumper? All right, or well, let's think now. Outfit. Let's think now. I quite like the suit I'm wearing as we speak. It's charming. <laughs> charming. It's a charming suit. It's a green corduroy suit. And it's about as loud as I go. Um, I'd like to go louder. Barry Humphreys, big hero of mine, Ronnie Corbett, used to dress very, very loud, very stylish. And I, I think, 
as you get older, you do. And then for a rather morbid reason, the life-giving properties of bright colours. You see it all the time, you know, men wearing these fuchsia-coloured jackets <laughs> or pink. Pink golf shirts. Pink, yeah, because you go, oh, I'm alive. <laughs> um, so maybe this one. Um, yes, I have several items that I, I sort of like to wear. Um, but this one is as good as any to answer your perfectly reasonable inquiry. <laughs> what do you think is your worst quality? Procrastination, undoubtedly. And I'm surprised I didn't take longer to come up with an answer. <laughs> uh, procrastination, just not getting on and doing things, putting things off. Personal life and everything. professional life, everything. Everything. And the strange thing is that is when I don't procrastinate... When I go, I'm going to do something, bang, do it. Oh, I get such a boost from it. And I go, ah, oh, you should do this all the time. So that is that is probably, that I'd quite like to change that. And I do try to change that about myself. I'm very aware of it. What did Steve say was his worst quality? Because I'd be very interested to know. Steve's worst quality. Not in touch with Dave. That, and also, I think it might have been prejudging people. Was it? From the bottom of my mind. Yeah. That's interesting. Prejudging. I'd say just judging. Um, interesting. Mm. Okay. Something, something to think about. You're talking about procrastination and also sort of not planning when you were younger for your shows, etc. Yes. Would that fall into the next answer for my question, which is what advice would you give your younger self? It doesn't have to be professional. It could be on a personal level. I would say... Some of the girls do fancy you, uh, have a bit more confidence there. I would say do something about your acne before it's too late, definitely. I see kids in the street and because I, I have acne scarring from, from a very, very bad acne. And I want to go up to them and say, hey, stop touching that, you know, but I can't because, you know, I just can't. Imagine that. Oh, is that the day you never guess what happened? Like Uncle Bryn, here, come at me. Stop criticising my skin. Um, but I do want to, and it would be with the best of intention, you know. Many people I said... I used to be quite sensitive about talking about that, but now I'm a bit older, and I think if it helps another... Per- I mean, I don't want to sound like, you oh, know, good old me, but if it helps mm. somebody listening, then it's a good thing. But I used to, I would have dodged a quest. I would never have brought that up before, about five, six years ago. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, thank you for sharing it. Um, lots of people, to, to answer that question, said that they would um, trust their gut. Trust their gut. Follow their Follow instincts. Follow your instincts, yes. That's quite interesting because that can work against feel the fear and do it anyway. As an example, when you're on stage, you know, deciding when to get off or how long to let a laugh run for before you move on to the next thing. That's all instinct, right? But sometimes you have to challenge what you have as your instincts or your ideas and that can be quite that's quite an interesting quandary um my instinct is not to take this part in such and such why well oh but it scares you maybe you should then i think you Mm. can argue these things both ways you know this show i'm doing now came one of the reasons it came is i was talking to uh, David Williams is, is a friend of mine and we said what advice would we, we were sitting down having lunch what advice would we give each other career advice and and I gave him some and then I said right be very honest with me and he said take more chances 
because I think he felt I was just doing what I knew worked and, you know, enjoying it. And that was one of the things that made me think, yes, I am going to get a band together. Mm. I did read you had potentially been inspired to do that by seeing a guest of Series 1 of Elevenses, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, well, I was already... I had already committed to the tour, but but I'm, I'm a fan of Jeff, who isn't? And I went to see him. I like his music, you know, he plays with his band. And I went to see him at Ronnie Scott's. And uh, the funniest... Well, first of all, he had, a, he had Till Brunner as his trumpeter. I think I'm right in saying trumpet. And I had done a job with Till a few years ago in Geneva. So what were the chances I was going to know the, <laughs> the trumpeter in Jeff Goldblum's band? So later in the story, which I will tell you, I ended up on the stage and there's Till going, hey, Rob. <laughs> you can see Jeff going, how do you know that guy? Wow. Um, but yeah, we went along and we sat there before the show and Jeff's show is very unconventional. He has a jazz band. He talks to the audience. He does like a film quiz He'll sit there and go, okay, let's, um, Sam Neill, Sam Neill, oh, oh, Jurassic Park with me, right, wonderful, wonderful. Another film, another film he was in, oh, and somebody will shout out another film. And then Jeff would name, oh, another actor from that movie, and let's, let's, and, and just, weird thing, but very entertaining. So anyway, before the show started, we're all sat there, and he comes round the room, Ronnie's is a little room, and he saw me, and much to my amazement, and I have to say delight, he went, Rob. I'd never met him. Rob Bryden from the trip. Is it you? Oh, my God. And we start chatting and then, yeah, end up, um, I end up getting up the stage with him and doing some, some stupid voices for him and stuff. And um, the thing that, that when you say inspired me, what I liked about his show was that it was very much bespoke. It wasn't like any show I'd ever seen. Um, talking to the audience, asking people where they're from, getting them to sing their national anthem. <laughs> but it was a fantastic night's entertainment. And that made me think when I was putting my show together that made me think try not to be constrained by by what you think a show should be you have to keep attention obviously a tautness perhaps is a better word with the audience so I've tried to be bold in terms of taking some chances and uh I don't know if you've ever come across the phrase "thinking outside the box." It's all the rage. You know? um, but I, I sort of—I suppose I—I I suppose I sort of try to think of it that way. Were you nervous at all? Because I mean, because obviously with um, sort of career to date mm. and comedy and mm. TV work, to suddenly mm. sort of enhance. I was very them. nervous. Yeah, I was very nervous, and and it was essentially uh, fear of ridicule. If if I'm being you know breathtakingly honest with you, it was fear of people going ah because there is a record of comedians who suddenly sing and on the one hand well why shouldn't they but at the same time you kind of go hmm. now I have sung for years and years and years from school musicals to an improv group I was in with Julia Davis and Ruth Jones when I started out to singing in Gavin and Stacey to singing on I'm sorry I haven't a clue to singing on my talk show on BBC Two lots of, and then in my stand-up shows but if if people have only a passing acquaintance with me they would probably say singing what you know mm. but you've got to, again you've got to take that chance and go out there because when you do that there's no hiding you know once you're out there on the stage with the band you can't change your mind 10 minutes into the show sure. and them not play anymore and you, and you just talk they're there 
Yeah. You know, you, you, you're committed now and you've got these quiet songs coming up, these serious songs, as well as all the funny stuff. You're, like, oh, I gotta do this. you're as committed as Bruce Springsteen. As Bruce. And what's interesting, <laughs> talking to the band, is I say to them, is, is, this is getting less so, but certainly the first bunch of shows, there are a few songs that are poignant, meant to make you think. So when you get to the end of them, it takes a second for people to know it's finished and to applaud. Oh, agony. Because I'm somebody who's used to being able to predict how long the gap is before the laugh, right? right. You pride yourself on it. And you can count it in. You know when it's going to be, right? With this, we finish. Dee, dee, dee. Oh, do sadness. And then they go to, go to blackout. And they go, come on, you bastard. <laughs> but the musicians, they say, oh, no. Oh, no, that's how you know they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. So two very different ways of looking at it. And I'm still finding it quite hard to come round to their point of view. I want to hear yeah, some yeah. applause, you know. The silence is the respect, Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. But lest, <laughs> lest you should think I'm too self-effacing, I think the show's great. So what is your biggest life lesson, do you think? Um... Well, things have, things have worked out, you know, touch wood, pretty well. So mm. I sometimes think some of these sayings are a little glib and don't really bear close examination because I would quite like to change skin. I go, well, that would be nice. I'd like, that would be nice, right? It would have been nice perhaps, but if I had had girlfriends at school, I wouldn't be where I am now and I wouldn't want to change that. And... If you look at my career, you'd say, why did you not give up? Because I had so much rejection. But I always thought it would be okay. Uh, until just before it happened, I was starting to waver. Um, that was 2000. Oh, well, actually, it was a couple of years before that, but then all the stuff came out on the telly in 2000. So, like Marty McFly, you know, you're going to end up in a different place, which I wouldn't want to do because this is... This is great. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to get to my last question now. Okay. It's 11 questions, Rob Ryan. Oh, Thank you so much. What or who was your biggest inspiration? Um, well, uh, I, in many ways, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I, I have such admiration and respect for his work ethic that I would a work ethic I don't have his discipline now I would imagine this has made him not the easiest of people to work with at various I think he's slightly more mellow now but at various stages of his career I find it incredible the way he would pursue excellence famously when it was time to make darkness on the edge of town he recorded so many songs all different types which have since been released. Songs that would have been hits, they're catchy, they're this, they're that, but they weren't what he wanted to do. And he just stayed in the studio running down his money, working, 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 until he came out with this thing that was what he wanted to do. Now, I'm not like that. So while I, I'm a different animal, but and yet I have a huge respect for that. Mm. So let, let's say him. Okay. Uh, the dedication of it all. Rob Bryden, it's been an absolute joy to meet you today. That's a, that's a big statement now, come on. It absolute is. I'm going to stand joy. by it. Absolute joy. 
Mm. I would have settled for it's been enjoyable. Okay, it's been nice. For me, it's been great. I've loved it. I've been talking about myself. What's not to like? I've had a great time. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Oh, man, Rob Brydon. There are some photos of us together from this recording up online, and you can just see me in fits of hysterics. He is the warmest of men. Quick, sharp, humble, and just such great company. You'd want him basically at every dinner party you ever had. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the series. Lots more to come. And if on Apple, ratings help hugely. I'd be so grateful. Next up, I plunge the cafetiere with this legend. I used to have a recurring nightmare that the charlatans play the only one I know and nobody claps. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Elevens with Danielle Perry.